Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another very interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one, lead confidently when you aren't feeling competent. We'll also be having our chat with Christina. We're going to be looking at ethics in business and a recent uh, situation at Google. But right now we're going to have a chat with Rani Gander, from, who's a partner with Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We're going to talk about business and asset pra- protection. Good afternoon, Rani. Good afternoon. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Why do business owners need asset protection? Julian, business owners usually are transacting with members of the public in some kind of form. So if something goes wrong with their product or with their service, then there's always the possibility of them being sued in their own name, and thus they're risking assets that they may have in their own name um, if they're eventually found to be at fault. So some industries are more prone to risk than others, such as building or engineers. Unfortunately, uh, the law space or medical practitioners... And if they're found liable, then a creditor may seek to enforce any judgment they get against them personally. So regardless of the type of business you own or run, there is always a risk of being sued, mainly because people are either relying on your product or service and and both have the ability to fail. So when you're talking asset protection, you're talking about assets in the business, but probably your own personal ones as well, aren't you? That's correct, yes, both. So so what happens if your business fails? Well, unfortunately, the reality of business is that um, the majority of them do fail for a variety of reasons. So if you're considering starting a business or your business is in trouble, then you need to have an exit plan. So if you think that your business is in trouble, um, I would recommend that early intervention is vital. So the sooner you may engage a insolvency practitioner, the more that can be done to save either the business assets or the assets you have in your own name. Also, if you're considering starting a business, you may wish to consider moving assets out of your name and into a person of less that's less at risk. So it could be, for example, a spouse, um, someone who's employed where you have run your own business. So the hardest and most expensive thing to move is real property because the two things you're concerned about there triggering are stamp duty and potentially capital gains tax. So the other option is to think about is potentially business insurance, including but not limited to, say, public liability. Um, And just remembering that a liquidator can go back as five years, so Mm. as far as five years. So if you have assets in your, out of your name before you begin to trade, that's going to be a key component. So I would think that's an area that people need to be very careful of at the moment, especially with uh, the coronavirus that we've had and the effect that that's had on business. There could be quite a lot of people's failures coming along. Yes. So so the next question is, should I give a personal guarantee? Look, um, my general advice is if you can avoid doing it, you should. Um, usually a personal guarantee will come up if you're buying from a supplier or you're entering into a lease for premises. Um, if you have the majority of your assets out of your name then and, and, and they're in, say, a family trust or someone who's less at risk's name, then giving a personal guarantee is um, potentially is not going to expose you as much. But um, 
if it's, say, a lease and you can come up with a security deposit rather than a personal guarantee, that's going to be better from an asset protection point of view. So you're probably better off, uh, if you can, pay, pay for things up front rather than go into 30-day uh, um, or 60-day accounts. True. And the other thing with the personal guarantees is that that will keep, you know, one, if your business does fail, um, that will keep you bound to the contract um, as mm. opposed to if you entered it via a company. Mm. So how do I limit my liability? Um, look, you need to think about the structure you use to run your business. So um, the most at-risk structure is the sole trader um, because there's really no protection or barrier there. So you might want to think about using a company um, and you might also want to think about uh, using family trust as shareholders of that company. Um, you can also consider having uh, properly legally binding terms and conditions. So if someone engages you for your service or your product, um, and then they uh, use it the wrong way and that causes harm, that you've really limited your exposure. So having a really good, solid set of terms and conditions um, is, a, is an effective way of limiting your, your liability. The other thing I would suggest is just good, sound practice um, procedures and also good quality control measures in, in your business. So uh, one of the things I think that is, is very important, you've just talked about the business structure. Is there any other comments to make to that business structure? Um, only that uh, a lot of the time these business structures are created, but then not a lot of guidance or thought is given after they're created to how they're being run. So a lot of people have structures created for them, but then they don't have the guidance on how to operate and run the structures. So for example... If you get the advice, put your house in your spouse's name because they're, they're less at risk, it then becomes really important that any um, payments of that property or against the mortgage of that property is funded by your spouse rather than you. And this avoids what we term as a constructive trust argument. So hmm. if it can be shown that basically you put an asset in your spouse's name but you paid for it so it all came from you, it can be found that that spouse holds that property on trust for you and then is exposed to a, a, a creditor. Um, the other thing to be careful about is people have family trust, but it, they, they, they don't always remember that a family trust is a distinct legal entity. Mm. So mm. just being aware of sometimes there's tax reasons to create loans from the trust um, or uh, unpaid present entitlements, but making sure that you're aware of any loans from the trust. And if, say, your business um, has lent the trust money and then a creditor comes along, that loan is going to be repayable. So if you thought you've secured your assets by putting in a trust, then you've got the loan the wrong way around. Um, you can find that the, the trust is then exposed when you didn't intend it to be. Mm. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning too is, particularly if people go into a, uh, there's, let's say they're a sole trader and they set a, a company structure, so they are the shareholder and the director. As a shareholder, they're pretty well protected, but as a director, they're not necessarily that well protected, are they? That That's, that's correct. So again, it's um, probably engaging with your lawyer or your accountant mm. to make sure that you've got what we call the at-risk person having all the liability, mm. um, so being the director and then having the less 
at-risk person holding their assets being the shareholder. Mm, great. Well, thanks very much for your time and thanks very much for your input during the last few months. Uh, have a great Christmas and we'll talk to you again in the new year. Rani Gander there with some interesting points and particularly if uh, your business is suffering at the moment because of uh, COVID and you could be well having to shut the doors, need to make sure that you've got some of these protections in, in place. Although, of course, as uh, Rani has just said, it can go back over five years. And you're listening to Business, The Law Renew on 2NURFM. Time to talk about tomorrow with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Uh, ethics. We're going to talk about ethics in business and particularly a, a recent uh, situation at Google. Yeah, so, you know, we've had the resignation this week um, of one of the higher-up management uh, women at Google uh, all around ethics. Um, ethics is such a personal thing. They're a matter of perception uh, and, their, and our perceptions are the sum of our experiences. But when in organisations we need to be very, very clear um, around what our ethical stance is, it comes, as we've discussed many times, under your vision, your mission, particularly your values uh, and how you walk the talk on those values. And we've given over the, over the period of the year um, many examples of how to make that real. But I think coming into this period of time now, coming into Christmas, Families are going to be having conversations. People are going to be gathering. There is a, a lightness, I guess, in the air at the moment, given given that we are um, seeing a brighter side. The restrictions are being lifted. The economy appears to be recovering um, better. It's not it's not fast. It's not amazing um, compared to where we would have been. So let's not let's not um, produce false expectations or anything like that. But we are in a much better position than what we imagined we would be in. Mm. It's really time to have the conversations, deep conversations, Julian, small business, organisations, families, um, you know, around who we want to be, what we want to stand for as Australians, as members of our own families, as members of our communities. You know, we, we have this um, idea that, that it, it should start with the person, it expands into your family then into your business, then into your community. So, you know, once upon a time, we had a variety of different personas. We had a work persona, a family persona, or a mother-in-law persona. Uh, what we're finding is that, that we really want that trust, that authenticity. We want to be ourselves 100% of the time. And how do we take the best of that self and make it work the best for our families, our communities, our places of work? And I think, you know, the, the saying the fish rots from the head down, 99% of cases is is absolutely true. Uh, it also is true at times that we can let one bad apple, you know, rot a whole bunch. Mm. Uh, but again, that that's where we need to be very clear on being open, being transparent and very much living according to the ethics that we want to stand for. So ethics are very personal. It's, it's like a philosophy. We need to be having those philosophical conversations, philosophical debates if we're going to move forward and learn the lessons that hopefully we have learnt from this year. And I think that uh, whilst you do say ethics are personal and, of course, everybody has different set standards for ethics, uh, employees within your organisation need to uh, uh, uphold your ethics um, because I've seen lots of cases over the years, in fact, and one fairly recently, where uh, you know an employee doesn't live up to those standards. That, that is so true. Uh, and that's what we mean by, you know, an organisation really has to walk the talk on mm. its vision, its mission and its values. So very, very clear 
on what the organisation stands for, very clear on what the expectations are. Um, you know, Tony Shea passed a couple of weeks ago, I think we mentioned him last week on the program, had remarkable effect on the cultures and the organisation, not only of Zappos, which was his, you know, his organisation, but on many other organisations. I had the privilege of being there. I can tell you that if you make the effort, your employees can walk the talk, mm. they can follow the conversations, but it all starts with conversation and then it transfers into action. If people don't know what's expected, if people don't have the, the philosophical debates even, you know, let's, let's have debates, let's bring the differing opinions to the table, come up with a compromise or come up with a majority vote and everybody goes, okay, yes, it may not be what I think, but I will respect the fact that this is the way that collectively we've decided to go. Uh, and, you know, it, it, there's, now is the perfect time to be having those conversations. And we are seeing a lot of that in the political arenas, particularly federal and state. Um, where I have differing views of some of them. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, you know, and, and opposing, you know, it was amazing at the beginning of COVID how our politicians all came together. Uh, mm. And now we're starting the old, you know, let me throw a bit of egg at you and you can throw mm. a bit of egg at me. And, you mm. know, let's just mm. stay nice, everybody. Let's stay nice. Let's have decisions that are made in the best interests of everybody. I don't care what your political persuasion is. Let's just go. We all know what's best for the country. We all know what's best for best for us collectively. Um, you know, we make the best decisions we possibly can. Mm. That's how we need to be operating at all those levels, personal, family, business, community. We need to be making the best decisions that we know how to collectively. Great. Well, you have a good good week and we'll have our chat last chat, chat for the year next week. I look forward to it, Julian. Have a lovely week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there helping us to understand ethics. And, yeah, we're seeing a lot about ethics at the moment, both political and in business. And I, I believe they're very important. Well, oh no, I was going to say we'll come back with some more, but now we'll go straight into our Harvard Business Review tip. Lead confidently when you aren't feeling confident. When faced with a tough challenge, it's normal to feel uncertain and maybe even afraid. But it's hard to inspire your team to rise to the occasion if they sense that you're intimidated. You can project confidence by doing four things. First, demonstrate empathy for your team members. They want to know that you aren't out of touch with what they're feeling. Second, communicate uh, Communicate your vision with the team, and that's a tough challenge. People need to have a clear sense of where they are headed. Third, set a direction for the team. Show them how you reach the vision together. And lastly, give people proof. They need a reason to buy in what you're telling them. So offer evidence for your direction and optimism. Be specific, be personal, and reference the work that the team is already doing. This will build your team's confidence and, of course, your own confidence. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at the importance of uh, uh, protecting your business assets, or in fact, all of your assets, really, and making sure you've got the right business structure. Um, we've also looked at those ethics. Uh, in a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to look at your social media plan for 2021 with digital advisor Kimberly Claire Campbell from the Hunter 
Region Business Hub. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Steve Jobs once said, I am convinced that about half of what separates the successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.